0: Hey, everybody. This is the Feast of the Holy Family. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I really love the Holy Family, but I, 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 I live in the in-between, loving and admiring this holy trio, and at the same time being aware of the gaps in spite of good intentions as a parent. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. How do we take this gift of Mary and Joseph and Jesus and translate it to our beautiful, messy families? This is written, by the way, by both my wife and I. My wife being an extraordinary parent, I must say. So much of this wisdom uh, is hers as well. So... um, We need the witness of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus more than ever. We need healthy binary witness man for woman, woman to man, the fruit of their love all the nurture and protection, masculine and feminine together. It's beautiful. I love it. Um, uh, Think of Joseph, this most excellent man who shielded mother with child from social shame. From his dream on, he ensured that both of them thrived under fire. I mean, Joseph was all but immaculate, and Mary... She was immaculate. (laughs) And when you look at Jesus, sinless Jesus, he probably was not that difficult of a child to raise. I mean, his biggest act of rebellion in Scripture was ditching his parents to dazzle the temple elders. You know, if that was your child's biggest temptation, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. (laughs) You would simply be glad that he was in church. (laughs) Um, Not so, not so with you and I. So this is the rub. We can make the holy family idols and not icons, mirrors of perfection that pierce neither our real family experience nor our need for greater holiness as families. So we can start just by saying, Jesus, I need you and your friends to help me. And I'm speaking here as a parent of four grown children. Um, Jesus, help me. Help me. I I can look back at the course of uh, the life of all of my children and all the ups and downs, ups and downs that continue to this day with their children or their good and at times frustrating single lives and say, wow, Lord, help me to love them in a way that is according to their need and that also helps them to 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 take a step up into all that you have for them so I'm we're just going to give you sort of our three or four points that Annette and I have have been guided by uh, and have learned over the course of our uh, 40 Forty-three years together. Uh, The first thing is, as parents, um, we want to model real faith to our kids. That means you're emulating, not just preaching, though there's a little preaching involved, but we're emulating, we're living from this wellspring of mercy. We live from it. We're aware of our need for it. Our kids, at some appropriate level, know that their parents are not realized fully in their lives, and they're still drawing upon this Jesus, and they're liking it, that there's joy in relying upon Jesus. So Annette and I really sought to to live that, and, and then unselfconsciously, our kids caught that. And, and it showed them something about, yeah, I want to live free in that sense as well. Life is hard, but Jesus makes it worth living. Life isn't just about suffering and, oh, another thing, and mom's endlessly crying and clutching her Bible or her rosary. But, yeah, it's tough, and we go to Jesus with it, and we draw from that wellspring, and we come out of it. And when we're in tough straits and we need a lot of forgiveness, we're sad that we need it, but we get it, and we get over it. Or people that undercut us, we recognize that, we're broken by it, and we get healed by it because Jesus helps us. Our kids saw that over the course of their growing up, and it taught them something real, about this unseen Jesus. Also, we never separated Jesus from his body. We've been through some hard stuff with with our communities of faith, and it would have been really easy to bring our kids into that and to basically say, kids, we don't go to that church anymore, and we're just not going to go to church anymore because we're upset. Uh, Rather, we we would always say, no, we're going to work that out. It's hard what's going on in the church right now, but we love the church. And it extends beyond this person or that person. This is about Jesus. And we got to show up in corporate worship in order to know him. Our kids got that. Now, of course, they're growing up. They don't want to go to church all the time. But guess what? If they're under our roof, they're going to go. Sorry, you can go live somewhere else, you know. That's your business. But if you're living here, we're going to go to church, and we're not making you do anything or say anything or believe anything that you don't. But that's just what we as a family do. We're kind of a church family, and our kids got that. And our kids are church people now. They got something of that in in a way that's all too familiar with American Christians, and especially uh, evangelical Christians, which is what my kids were raised in, it's so easy to develop that divide as a family. And we just refused to do it. And so our kids got something from that, not by preaching, go to church, go to church. But they had to go to church. (laughs) And guess what? It wasn't that bad. Now, they would take breaks from church, for sure. And they made decisions. I don't want to go to church. Okay, at this phase in your life, that's fair game. But... As for me and my house, (laughs) we's a-going. So that's it. Secondly, don't treat your children like messiahs. I named this podcast or this vlog Monsters and Messiahs, Unmasking the Holy Family. And the reason I say that is that we're kind of in a place in our culture where parents tend to do this. They, they honestly tend to treat their kids as if there's no such thing as original sin. That their kids are only innocent, and every feeling and every request has to be honored. This might be called emotionally sensitive parenting. We've all been held captive by these messiahs who are acting like monsters, whether it's in a restaurant, a store, an airplane, a church. Parents who allow a little child to lead them do a great disservice to the child. And to all of us, I wince for those kids who slap a parent when they don't get what they want from a parent or who tell their parents off all the time or fling applesauce against the wall because he wanted ice cream. I I see that more often than I want to see it. And I see a child who is not being parented well. That's the parent's responsibility. What we may be witnessing is a parent trying so hard to validate the kid's every emotion that mom or dad forget, forgoes rather, apt expectations of the child and the discipline of the parent to establish necessary limits. Instead of consistently set rules, the parent offers suggestions, negotiations. Well, why don't we do this and not that? Unable to know the difference between rules and negotiations, but will always opt for a negotiation if the kid can get what he wants. Uh, The child will negotiate with a scream, with a fling of the item. I don't want that anymore. Uh, And you'll give him the ice cream or the cell phone or whatever he wants. Kids need limits, solid lines that secure them in love. This is securing for a child, even though, of course, there's a tension, especially with kids of a certain temperament. This can be a challenge. It requires a confidence and an exertion on the part of the parent to consistently set the limits. But when they're set firmly, boundaries become a part of the child's internalized Capacity to make good choices. And especially at at various phases, especially in the toddler years, this can be a challenge. I mean, we've revisited this just recently with grandkids, whom we've had a lot, two and three days a week, in light of parents' necessary work time. And, And so we have had to parent as grandparents in light of that kind of uh, time. We haven't had just the privilege of being Disney grandparents. We've had to be, no, here we are. <laughs> this is what it's going to take for us to get through the day together. And so the need to help them. And then we see them over time as they pass, they begin to come to the outer edges of the toddler years and they're starting to make better choices themselves uh, because we have set the limits. And set some good expectations. And there's been consequences, mild but consistent consequences for, for not hearing us and abiding within the reasonable limits. Now, the fear here is that we're going to be so authoritative that we're back to the old kids should, you know, not be heard, just you know, doing the right thing, obedience, obedience, obedience. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a you know a parental authority with attunement to who this kid is. Annette does this super well. Honestly, I've relearned about this just by being with her with our grandkids. She stands strong as the one who's in charge, but she is very attuned to each child. When I say attuned, I mean she responds to the child with appropriate language and behavior based upon a deep knowing of who this child is. Now, part of that is her maternal gift. There is something about the maternal that can, that, that can enter into the life of another and come into a deep knowing that I find remarkable. I can do it some. I can't do it as, as well as healthy women in my life, Annette being one of them. So she gets to know who this kid is and that this kid is different than that kid. So there's going to be some differences in the boundary setting, in the affirmation, in the mm-hmm. challenge. Um, she gets to know them and care for them. And so as a result of, of, of this collateral, She's, she's earned her right, if you will. Not earned her right. She has the right as, a, as the elder, as the one who has to bring some order here. But the way that she's able to, to, to invite them into a healthy set of expectations and as well as affirmation is through this attunement. And so she's able to say clearly, you can't do that here. You can't do that here. And the kids listen. She's not screaming. She's not out of control. She's not spinning from indulgence on the one hand and then raging on the other. Just very objectively and clearly, you can't do that here. And you know what? The grandkids listen. They listen. They say, okay, I know I, know I can't. Or, please don't talk to me like that. And what she's saying is, no, you can't you can't be disrespectful to me like that. Or the cell phone time is up. You've had time on the little iPad or the cell phone. That's it. I need it back. And the kids learn that, okay, this is a privilege, and it's a short-lived privilege. And maybe ten minutes. It's not three hours. My wife's authority lies in loving presence, with so much affirmation. And just joy in being with them, as well as consistent no's, N-O-S, as it's appropriate. <laughs> Lastly, the child's inviolability. I love this concept. Uh, what this means is that you can't wholly know this child because this child is not wholly your own. This child belongs to God. This child is a gift. And in that way, you're an under-parent. You're a co-creator in collaboration with the creator of all living, including this unrepeatable life. And, And this has to do with inviolability. It means that the child possesses a core reality that even a parent or a loved one cannot wholly know. It's a space reserved for his deepest self and union with the one who made him. Respect the child's inviolability. Mind the gap. Don't think you know everything about this one. What you do know is significant, but it's always going to be limited by the mystery of God and the child's inviolability, meaning his or her uh, unrepeatable self, which belongs to her, to him. were co-creators, co- co-workers <laughs> in the field. Uh, but it helps us. It helps us from over-functioning. It helps us from looking at or the, the way that we would look at bad choices that kids make as they grow and as they go out into the world or whatever the case might be, and not 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 looking at that narcissistically like, oh that's a bad reflection on me. It's like, oh, okay, my my son is struggling, my daughter's struggling. He or she is working through something, and I can't wholly know what that is. Uh, I I may be able to touch on it, and he or she is welcome to allow me in, but I can't wholly know. So I'm going to entrust that one to one greater who is not me. It it frees us, not from responsibility, but from over-responsibility, over-functioning inviolability helps us to trust God with what only he knows about him or her. So all we're called to do as parents is to help him or her launch into the world in the hopes that they're going to make better choices than bad ones. And if by chance you're in a crowded city, maybe in the Middle East, and the kid wanders off, call the police, scare the child, and set strong boundaries. He probably wasn't wowing the elders in the temple.